Hebrews 10.23 says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Stay tuned to another edition of Confessing Our Hope, the podcast of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary, as we sit down with Rev. Paul G. Settle, one of the founders and first chairman of the board, as we discuss the demise of the PCUS and the formation of the Presbyterian Church in America. Afternoon and welcome to another edition of Confessing Our Hope, the podcast of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. This podcast is a weekly production of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary where we deal with issues of a theological and practical nature, things that affect the church. This podcast is confessional without apology, and we stand behind the Westminster Confession of Faith and larger and shorter catechisms. In today's uh, in studio today, we have a, a guest who we will be talking with on a particular topic that I w- would venture to guess that most people have not read much about. For most of us, this is a situation that happened before we were even born, issues that affected the Church of Jesus Christ at, a, at, at great length. Um, I want to read, uh, as by way of introduction, a short paragraph from an article by our guest that was written by our guest today that somewhat paints the picture, sets the stage for the topic of discussion that we will be dealing with today. He writes, at a time when many World War II veterans were gathering to remember the dastardly deed at Pearl Harbor, 32 years before, 382 Presbyterian elders were gathering in Birmingham, Alabama because of another dastardly deed. They were mourning the destruction of their beloved denomination, the Presbyterian Church in the United States, by theological liberals. But they gathered to form a new but continuing Presbyterian Church in America. It was December 4th, 1973. The teaching and ruling elders who filed into the Briarwood Presbyterian Church were about to form a new denomination in Christendom that would be true to the Bible and the Reformed faith and obedient to the Great Commission of Jesus Christ. Today we're going to talk about this formation of this new denomination, which you may have guessed by now is the formation of the Presbyterian Church in America. It's a denomination I happen to be a part of, and our guest happens to be a part of, and in fact, he was there when these events took place way back in 1973. Our guest today is the Reverend Paul Settle. And he is a graduate of Columbia Seminary and has ministered in the pulpits of Christ Church for 54 years. He was a member of the PCUS, as well as a continuing member in the Presbyterian Church in America. He is currently retired, but stays very active, uh, working and laboring in the church, filling pulpits, and preaching the good news of Jesus Christ to those who come to hear it. So, Reverend Settle, we do welcome you to the program today, and glad to have you. Great to be here. Appreciate the opportunity. Great. Thank you. Um, as I just said, we're, we're here to talk about the beginning of the PCA. We're here to talk about some of the issues that were going on at that particular period of time. And then as we go through our discussion, maybe we'll talk a little bit about whether we see some of those same issues creeping back in, even into our own denomination that we're both a member of and I think both love very much and would love to see avoid 
as we go forward in time. So can you paint for me a backdrop, maybe a, a foundational issue as what was occurring that eventually led up to the things that I just read in December of 1973? Mm-hmm. It's hard to say, well, it's hard to place a finger on at the very beginning of the movement that uh, eventually produced the the PCA. Um, it actually goes back into the 1800s, uh, long before the PCA came into existence, mm-hmm. uh, even before the uh, PCUS came into existence, uh, when uh, liberal theologians, scholars in the uh, Presbyterian Church in the United States uh, of Amer- in America, that was the old Presbyterian Church, which was the only Presbyterian Church at the time, uh, some of those scholars like uh, Charles Briggs, uh, who was teaching at Reform at Union Seminary in, in Richmond, Virginia, uh, went to Germany to study. Now, there they were infected with uh, liberalism, higher criticism, mainly in the Old Testament. Now, they came back denying that the Old Testament was that was the Word of God, uh, denying the supernatural, denying uh, many of the great uh, doctrines of the faith which you and I and God's people for centuries have held to be uh, sacred. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have they came back uh, to the seminaries, Briggs did, for instance, uh, and uh, began to infect their students uh, with that bad theology. And that moved its way through the whole denomination, and it's hard to believe, but uh, by the 1930s, uh, that denomination uh, was apostate, mm. and uh, or nearly so. And it was at that time uh, that J. Gresham Machen and others started Westminster Seminary, he and other faculty members at Princeton left because of the liberalism that was growing in Princeton Seminary and um, started Westminster Theological Seminary. And that really is kind of where our roots go, is back to, to Machen. Uh, for that same bad theology that Briggs brought back from Germany uh, continued to move across the country and into the South. And uh, those issues were issues that we dealt with in the 1950s and 60s and 70s. Mm. Now, what's what were some of those issues, and more specifically, what were more specifically, especially for us in our in our particular experience, uh, was that uh, we had the compromise of the spiritual mission of the church. I'll just list them, and then we might want to speak about them. Sure. Uh, the compromise of the spiritual mission of the church, union with non-reformed bodies, and the violations of the church's constitution. Uh, the failure to exercise discipline, which mm-hmm. was a huge problem, mm-hmm. and then, of course, theological heresy itself. Now, those were kind of the underlying issues. However, always, and we must understand this, always the issue is the Word of God. That's right. Is, uh, the issue goes back to the Scriptures. If this is the Word of God, uh, inherent, infallible, the only rule of faith and practice, then most of these issues are non-issues, and they will not become issues. But when we begin to compromise any aspect of the Bible as the very Word of God, all kinds of bad things happen. Sure. So when they um, begin tinkering with the infallibility and authority, as you said, some of these issues begin to creep in. Let's talk a little bit about the issue of church discipline. I think it was Calvin who argued that, maybe by extension, he stated that you know the true church is, is that which... Uh, rightly preaches the Word of God and administers the sacraments, but certainly within that framework, church discipline must 
be a part of it. What certain what issues were going on that led the church to realize that they were not a church that was willing to actually engage mm-hmm. in discipline? What, are there any specific situations? Well, uh, yes, uh, and on a number of different fronts. For instance, each of those things that I mentioned a moment ago uh, have their roots in theological truth. Uh, because of what the Bible says, uh, we believe now, and we did believe then, and that the church does have a spiritual mission. Now, that was an issue that was uh, largely questioned in the what we call the Northern Church, or mm-hmm. what was the old Presbyterian Church, uh, USA. Um, the, they began to teach that the church's mission was basically social. Mm-hmm. And in, in the PCUS, which was the church we were in, our mother church, I grew up in the PCUS, my grandfather was a ruling elder in the PCUS for many years, and I, uh, she was my mother church, and it, it brought great sadness when the PCUS uh, went under, you might say. Uh, but uh, uh, even in the PCUS, back in the 30s, a committee was appointed by the General Assembly whose purpose uh, was primarily uh, to uh, deal with uh, uh issues that really did, did not pertain to the gospel as such. Now, they were issues that had to do with, well, social issues, political issues, uh, issues such as, well, uh, in that article you mentioned, uh, I mentioned a number of things. Um, the Moral and Social Welfare Committee uh, addressed such radical concepts as the modern ecumenical movement, mm-hmm. uh, the World Council of Churches, the National Council of Churches, uh, pacifism, they supported pacifism. Uh, the United Nations was uh, largely supported by them. Uh, one world government, and this is hard to believe, but they actually endorsed one world government, including centralized control of all national military establishments and economic systems. Doesn't that sound up to date, though? It sure does. <laughs> uh, and uh, the new morality, civil disobedience. Uh, the, in the PCUS, they actually paid thousands of dollars to support the striking garbage workers in Memphis, Tennessee, mm. uh, and uh, uh, abortions for economic uh, reasons. Uh, and I remember well the General Assembly in Massanetta Springs uh, when they voted uh, to uh, name fighting hunger as the primary priority in the church. Some might argue and say, well, Shouldn't the church have a voice in some of these issues? For instance, let's you know, let's talk about the last thing you mentioned: this idea of fighting hungry and it, uh, f- fighting hunger. I mean, certainly you mentioned here as the primary priority, and I, I think that's where the sticking point is. But shouldn't the church have some involvement in sure, we do, these don't issues? We? Yeah, we have to. And so these are theological issues as well as practical issues. But of course, true practice grows out of good theology, that's right. doesn't it? And um, in these cases, such as uh, uh, the one we were just talking about, uh, the um, uh, well, I'm not I'm not sure how to even express it at this point. It's the idea here that uh, the church's mission is primarily spiritual in the sense that uh, the church uh, cannot speak authoritatively to areas of life. Uh, uh, as they would speak theologically to areas of life. That's not very clear, is it? Uh, well, like that spiritual mission of the church, when uh, the uh, Northern Church, for instance, uh, well, back in the old days of the Northern Church in the 
PCUSA, uh, actually before the PCUS came into being, uh, the denomination, the General Assembly, uh, passed a motion that declared that all true Presbyterians, all good card-carrying Presbyterians, must support the federal government in the Civil War. Uh, well, a person may or may not agree with that as a Christian or, or whatever, but the thing is that the church has no right and to say you're not a good Presbyterian, you're not a good church member, if you don't hold to this particular view. Now, if the Bible says it, you must hold to it. Sure. But the Bible doesn't say we support one or the other. It says you understand the word to the best of your ability as guided by the Holy Spirit, and you stand by, bound by conscience to do that. And uh, uh, But the church has no right to make up your mind for you. It cannot bind your conscience on those things other than uh, spiritual things. And in fact, during that period, I think the uh, Southern Church said, well, we certainly can't abide by that. That's uh, right. Given the climate of the country mm-hmm. um, in the in that period. So hence we had the, the break off in the, the PCUS. Yeah. Um, well, it wasn't called the PCUS at that point. The, um, the Confederate. Confederate Church. Presbyterian Church in the United States. Right. And then after the war, so it changed to the PCUS. Yeah. But it, I think just to be clear, so those who are listening, I think it's important for, for the, uh, those listening to understand that we're not saying... And I don't think my guest is saying that the church shouldn't have some say or some concern with hunger or what's going on, but that's not the primary mission. Yeah, that's not the, the mission church. of the church. The mission of the church is to preach the gospel. Um, and uh, however, of course, the gospel is going to include compassion, social compassion for the hungry, for the uh, for as the Old Testament speaks again and again for those who are not protected, like the fatherless. Right and the orphans, uh, we must speak out on those issues if we're going to proclaim the gospel in its, in its breadth. Mm-hmm. However, our, that's not our mission. Our mission is to proclaim the gospel and trust the Holy Spirit to guide his people to do that which is right and good in those mm-hmm. areas. Mm-hmm. So this was one of the, one of the, the, the prime issues, at least as you addressed them here in mm-hmm. this article. Now the next subject is this idea of union with non-reformed bodies. Now I read that sitting here in 2012, and I think to myself, uh, what, (laughs) in a way that would be almost like me deliberately joining with a church that I know I'm going to have disagreements with, Mm -hmm. and eventually it's going to, it would come to a head at some level. I I read that, and that's what I think. I think I couldn't join with a a, a church that, unless I had no options, Mm -hmm. that I know I would fundamentally have theological Mm -hmm. disagreements with on fundamental issues. Sure. Um, What was going on here that um, led to this... uh, which uh, led to, to, looks like, quite a bit of uh, controversy. A lot of controversy. In fact, it could be said that this was perhaps the, the chief uh, issue in the Southern Church uh, that, that finally led us uh, to begin a new denomination. And uh, because uh, the great effort on the part of the leadership in the, in the PCUSA and the leadership in the PCUS was to bring about a reunion of those bodies, to bring the PCUS back into the Northern Church or into the PCUSA. And their desire was to do this for, for various reasons. We can't speak to motivations, really, uh, but they, uh, this was their great cause, was to bring about union. Uh, we have ideas as to why they would do that. 
and just suffice it to say that by the time uh, those issues came to the General Assembly, it was clear that the Northern Church was already well on the way mm -hmm. to serious error, if not apostasy. And therefore, for those of us who believed the Bible and who believed uh, and who took our ordination vows seriously, there's no way we could re reunite with a body that no longer held uh, to the Bible as the inerrant, infallible Word of God, no longer held to uh, uh, the virgin birth, to the deity of Christ, to the mm. miracles of Christ, to the supernatural at all, and so on. It would have been impossible for us to reunite with a, a non-reformed, a non-biblical body, and now, to do that in good conscience. Yeah, and, and if, if my memory is accurate, and it may not be, <laughs> but... Um, it, was this a reaction from the Southern Church, uh, the Auburn Affirmation of the Northern Church, where they began to question some of these fundamental issues, mm -hmm. and this was what was leading, was somewhat sending up the red flags to the Southern Church, saying, how can we unite with you? Is that what really was the catalyst, and the Northern Church then went liberal even mm -hmm. faster than the Southern Church? Yeah, the Auburn Affirmation, uh, which was uh, uh, fashioned in the early uh, 1900s, uh, really was, you might say, the catalyst. Uh, several thousand PCUSA pastors signed that, and uh, and yet uh, they denied uh, the uh, 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 the inspiration of the scriptures. They denied the virgin birth. Mm -hmm. uh, they denied the vicarious atonement, the atoning death of Christ on the cross. They denied a bodily resurrection of Christ. Uh, they denied that Christ is going to return again. Uh, they denied the miracles. And uh, as I said, thousands of pastors uh, and others signed that. Well, that immediately places them in the uh, category of non-reformed, unbiblical, even heretical. And uh, that, that was, those were some of the issues that were being dealt with in the PCUS at the time. We had men here who wanted to uh, affirm their allegiance with that particular viewpoint. In the early days, of course, that was not a big thing. There were very few. But as we know, uh, sin, uh, error, mm. has a way of creeping in, and uh, it tripped. And after not many years, after the PCUS was, was formed, which was in 1861, uh, they were already beginning to battle some of those, those issues. Mm -hmm. And by the early 1900s, there were, there were big battles in the seminaries. There were four seminaries in the PCUS. One of them was considered conservative. I attended that seminary, and it was not really conservative, but it, it was closer than any of the other four. And that was back in the early 50s. Now, in 1954, this formal plan of union was sent down in the PCUS churches to basically make a, mo a, a motion, a movement to join with the Northern Church. Mm -hmm. It was a pretty close vote, 42 yes 43, no. So right. the, the, the will of the denomination was, no, we will not join with the Northern Church. What happened after that? Well, that was an interesting vote, one vote. And uh, after that, the conservatives, which is their tendency and has been down through the centuries, uh, thought, well, we won the battle. We'll go back home and we'll, we'll care for our churches. We'll preach the gospel. We'll take care of our people. We'll do the work of the Lord. Now, the liberals went home and just kept right on working behind the scenes. Mm. And just a few years later, this issue was brought back to the General Assembly. Uh, it lost again, but as, uh, uh, as difficult as it is to realize, the Assembly was 
so theologically weak at that time that the liberals were able uh, to uh, uh, push through a motion to the effect that even though we had not joined with them and had voted not to join with them, that all of our committees and agencies could do everything possible and should do everything possible uh, to cooperate uh, with the like agency in the other church, which was really setting up a union behind, right. you know, closed door. It was not a, a union that was constitutional. It was an unconstitutional union. Mm-hmm. So they they were getting pretty much what they wanted without the official word of reunion. Well, I like how you, you put that in the article where you you basically state that the peace U.S. in effect had entered into union with the Northern Church by the back door yeah. instead mm-hmm. of the, through the conventional exactly. means. And, and so in a sense, the, the PCUS violated their own constitutional process mm-hmm. as to how these things were going to um, take place. And that really leads us into the, the next subject that you mentioned here in the article, and which led to some of the gross, uh, the, the, some of the demise of the church, um, was this issue of the church's constitution. Well, first of all, before we even talk about that, what do we mean by the church's constitution? That may be foreign language to a lot of people. Mm. The constitution of the church, which is under the scriptures, the scriptures, of course, are paramount. Uh, they are the inerrant infallible word of God, but under the uh, the scriptures, the constitution of the Presbyterian churches has always been the Westminster Confession of Faith, larger and shorter catechisms, and the Book of Church Order, which is the form of government, how the church is put together, how to work all the agencies and so on, so on are, are uh, to work together to hopefully achieve what we believe the Lord would have the church to be and do. Um, and in the case, some of the cases we're talking about, uh, we just talked about the unconstitutional union of presbyteries and synods. Uh, other constitutional regularities had to do with the uh, uh, examination of mm. of ministers, of pastors, uh, examinations for ordination, for instance, men coming out of seminary uh, receiving a call to a church. Uh, they must be examined by a presbytery. Usually it's a very good examination. And um, more and more, more and more often in the uh, uh, Southern Church, uh, men were coming to the uh, to the presbyteries for examination who denied uh, the, some of the truths we just talked mm. about, some of the great truths of the faith. Uh, they denied Christ's virgin birth. They denied his deity, uh, his bodily resurrection, the inerrancy of Scripture. I was in a presbytery for a short time. Uh, wherein um, men came who denied all of these things, and uh, one man even denied the Trinity. Mm. But all of those men, uh, their examinations were approved, and they were ordained in the PCUS. I mean, these are subjects that are not just necessarily distinctively Reformed. I mean, these are subjects that would would either make you or not make you— A Christian. A Christian. (laughs) Exactly, yeah. So we're not talking just about the Reformed faith. It goes almost without saying uh, that they would have nothing to do with Chapter 1 of the Confession— which is the chapter on the scriptures. Uh, they would have little to do with chapter two, which is the ch- uh, chapter on on God himself, mm. if they're denying the Trinity. Chapter three, the decrees of God, they threw that, those out a long time ago. Uh, they did not believe in predestination and election. And you go on through the confession, and almost every chapter they have significant uh, disagreement. Uh, they did not even believe that it was necessary to evangelize in terms of traditional biblical evangelism, because they believe that all men were going to be saved eventually, somehow. And therefore, why evangelize? You just be good and, and loving and, and feed them, 
and uh, provide medical missionaries and so on, educational missionaries. But you don't have to preach the gospel because they're all going to come be in heaven one day. Right. Well, if everybody's going to be in heaven, there's nothing to talk about. I mean, exactly, it's just, just yeah. you know, just be nice people, and um, they'll come along, and it'll yeah. be all fine. It'll all work out okay. Yeah, don't beat your wife. Don't kick a dog. Yeah, you know, cut your grass. Yeah, you're fine. You're right. All right. Yeah, which, yeah. It, well, it doesn't sound like any Christianity I was raised under, and I wasn't even <laughs> raised in the Reformed faith. I was raised in a Baptist church, and, and I wouldn't have, I would have been horrified to see these, exactly. these items denied. Now, mm. we talked a little bit about the exercise in church discipline, um, but I want to skip down just for time's sake, down to some of these theological issues, because I want our listeners to understand, and and I think my guest would agree with this wholeheartedly, that this issue, this decision to pull out of the denomination, which many of these men, I've spoken with some of these men, I've had the pleasure of, of, of speaking with men here at the seminary that were actually part of this entire thing. They were there, they saw it happen, and I can assure you, um, to a man, they all loved their church. Mm-hmm. They loved the PCUS. They did not want to see this happen. They were in. Gr- they were grieved about what was going on, and I think uh, this battle didn't happen in a few days. This was years and years of labor and toil. But I want to read just a quick list, and maybe we'll talk just briefly about each one or, or, or some of these selected ones. But I want to read a list of some of the issues that the that the the these men who decided that it was time to leave the denomination in which they loved, were wrestling with. Some of them have been already mentioned, but I just want to read this short list, and I want you to get the, the flavor and, and, and feel the impact of some of these things. Now, the Presbyterian, Church, the Presbyterian Church in the United States, that's the southern branch of Presbyterianism in this country, believed these things. Moses did not write the Pentateuch. Genesis contains a number of discrepancies, including two contradictory accounts of creation, and there was no such thing as a talking serpent. Now, I don't know if I have to keep reading, but I'm, that enough, those two points right there already horrify me. But let's continue. David, Solomon, Isaiah, and Daniel did not write the portions of the Bible attributed to them. Jonah's great fish is not intended to be taken literally. The miracles of Jesus may not have happened. Well, there goes the Bible. If it hasn't already been destroyed by the first two points, um, we've just eliminated a vast majority of the New Testament. All human beings will be at last saved. We already talked about this. Now here's a, a confessional issue. The Westminster Confession of Faith describes a God who does not exist. Now, if you're like me, I'm reading this list. This is like the fourth time I've read this list, and every time I read it, I still can't believe my own eyes that men who call themselves Presbyterian, who say they subscribe in the confession, who hold to the same, or apparently held to the same doctrines that I love so much today, could say such a thing. The idea of Christ's atonement as providing a satisfaction to God for the sins of the elect is unbiblical and unsound. Hmm. The doctrine of the perseverance of the saints should have no place in an evangelical confession. The church is not to be identified with the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And I think the list could probably go on and on, but um, Paul, what do, you, what do you think about this as you reread this? Well, I think that, that last one that you omitted is, is really shocking, that uh, the Bible's wisdom literature is of no greater authority than the collected writings of Bobby Kennedy. Isn't mm-hmm. that amazing? That was in the Covenant Life curriculum, which was published by the Northern 
church and used by the PCUS as well. Yep. And so uh, this is what the church was actually teaching. I mean, this is not just, okay, so some fringe groups within the denomination were holding to these views. This is what was mm-hmm. actually being taught in the churches, That's right. these items. Yeah, these were, I quoted most of these uh, from uh, the Layman's Bible Commentary, which was uh, a joint effort of the northern and the southern churches, uh, and was uh, touted all over, you know, as the last word in, in uh, biblical exegesis. And then the and then the Covenant Life Curriculum, which again was a shared um, project, uh, uh, and this is doing exactly what you picked up on, and that is, it shows that uh, the church as a whole was was given to this. The conservatives did not have enough strength uh, to even to keep the curriculum uh, without serious error, hmm. uh, and this went on for many many years. It was not that, like you said, it was this didn't happen overnight. Uh, I had a dear friend uh, whom you know as well. I'm not mentioning his name right now, but uh, he asked me one time. And he said, "How can we? How can we possibly leave?" He said, uh, "You know, we we have have we really tried to you know to cleanse the church, to bring the church to re- realize what she's doing?" And he was surprised when I told him, "Well, it's been over 35 years that men had been laboring with the, with these things." And conservative men in presbyteries all over the South had uh, sent uh, resolution after resolution uh, uh, to the General Assemblies, to the Senates, to the presbyteries themselves, and without any satisfaction whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the, the church had been called to account many, many times, and in very few, if any, I can't think of one right now, but very few, if any, uh, times did the denomination uh, approved those particular resolutions and so on. Mm. Uh, this this was going on for a long line, long time, and the, they were actually ripping to shreds uh, that beautiful system of faith which we know as the Reformed faith, as the, right. the doctrines of grace. That's right. I, you, you you say it well because uh, I remember raising my children in in, in the Reformed faith and um, and expressing to them and listeners who have heard me on other broadcasts and other podcasts, as it were, um, have heard me say this before. This is not new. Um, I don't I don't think my guest sees the Reformed faith as some version or brand, or brand like an ice cream flavor of Christianity. Well, we believe that the Reformed faith teaches what the Bible says without apology. I mean, it's not, and to see it dismantled systematically, one piece at a time, is 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 a subject of grief, and mm-hmm. and, and, the, and I know, as I've said in talking to some of these men personally, face to face, that that I can see it on their face. Oh, it was, that it caused it was horrible. I remember a meeting uh, in February of '73. We were meeting in Atlanta. We almost lived in Atlanta for years, it seemed, but we were meeting in Atlanta at the old Hilton Hotel at the airport, and um, we had just learned that the clause that had been promised to be in the plan of union uh, had been uh, uh, removed from that plan of union and that clause was that those who did not want to enter into the union could vote out and keep their property uh, that had been dropped and uh, even then the uh, uh, clerk of the northern presbyterian church who was an attorney uh, said that he had been dealing with groups for years and years and years, and he had never seen one group lie to another the way the liberals had lied to us. Mm. And he was a liberal, but uh, it was terrible. And uh, our delegate to that committee came back to us and told us that, and we dropped to our knees, and most of the men were crying. 
when they made they approved the, the motion after a season of prayer uh, to start the, the the new denomination. Uh, it was that was a difficult time. These doctrines of grace are precious. They are. Yeah. In fact, I, I was just scanning through your article here, which, by the way, for those listening to this uh, this particular broadcast, I'm going to post with the guest permission um, this article in length on our on the Greenville Seminary blog, so that they can follow through this and read some of the uh, the information. Because we've we've just covered skimmed the surface, frankly, on some of these subjects. But the, the issue he's referring to. Um, the representatives on their knees in prayer in a room at the old Atlanta airport Hilton, many of them weeping openly acknowledge that there was no turning back and resolve to organize a new continuing Presbyterian church. This wasn't a bunch of men who just decided they wanted to run off and do their own thing, which frankly and sadly, I see too many people today and perhaps Reverend Suttle, you could even comment on this, that we leave our churches too, too soon. We, mm-hmm. we jump ship. Things don't go the way we think they should go, and we're off to the next church on the corner. Yes, it's unusual, isn't it, today to find a young man particularly who has been in, a, in, in one pastorate longer than three, four, or five years. Mm. Uh, so often they're, they're moving, moving around. And, and that's understood, in, you know, of course, uh, as, as the Lord leads. But I'm afraid too often it's a lack of patience of really shepherding the sheep, uh, guiding the flock. Mm. It's not easy to be a shepherd. No. And uh, uh, we need to hang in there. Well, this event, uh, as we said in the onset of the program, led to the formation of what is now known as the Presbyterian Church in America. And that event took place, as I flipped the page, all the way back to December 4th of 1973. So we're quickly coming up on 40 years mm-hmm. of the PCA's um, um, existence how has the denomination remained the same when it first started? And maybe also comment on how has it changed? Mm-hmm. It's a good question. Wish you hadn't asked it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think we've stayed the same uh, essentially uh, on, on the great doctrines of the faith. I think we as a denomination are still sincerely committed to the Word of God and to uh, the Westminster Confession of Faith, uh, I believe we're sincerely committed to our original motto. You might call it "True to the Bible" and the Reformed faith mm-hmm. and obedient to the Great Commission of Jesus Christ. The Lord has surely blessed the PCA. It's amazing what He has done. Mm-hmm. Think of the men that He has brought into the PCA. Uh, there was a time, and it may be now. I hadn't thought about it just recently, uh, when uh, the president of of every Reformed uh, biblical seminary was a member of the PCA, mm. and uh, that, that's a wonderful thing. And we, you know, the Lord has has used this denomination to plant churches all over the world, great missionary ministry, and so on. And I'm so thrilled that every time the General Assembly has been faced with what could be a divisive issue, uh, one that could begin to to signal an erosion of the truth, the assembly has come down eventually on the right foot, mm-hmm. uh, not without good debate and not not without uh, a lot of study and, and so on, uh, but it has come down on the right foot. We do have uh, discussions going on because we're sinners, and uh, we do not always see things in the same light, and the confession teaches that, that uh, simply because we do not have 
the Holy Spirit does not give us a perfect understanding of the truth, that good men will di- will di- disagree on certain mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. The Bible is not com- uh, absolutely clear on every issue. But um, there are now, it appears, uh, some questions. It's interesting to read that list that we read a little while ago, that there are men among us who are questioning the authenticity of the Genesis record. Uh, uh, there are men who have maybe a broader view of the ministry of the Holy Spirit in terms of, say, the charismatic or the Pentecostal uh, aspects of that that uh, some of us might have. Uh, there are men who uh, question uh, the uh, the insistence of some upon uh, uh, worship that is uh, truly biblical in all of its aspects. And you can get a great discussion going on that because, again, some things are not, not clear. Uh, but... Uh, we are having those kinds of discussions, and they are—they could be uh, divisive. Uh, there are others I could mention, uh, more deeply theological perhaps than some of those, but uh, I think by and large, the Lord is still blessing in a very mm-hmm. real way. And I, as we had, had to uh, struggle through in those years before, uh, we had to realize you just don't up and leave, as you were saying a moment ago. You just don't say, hey, listen, I'm no longer comfortable here, I'm leaving. You've got to have good reasons. That's right. You've got to be able uh, to state your case, and you must have done so over a period of time, giving your brothers in your presbytery and or general assembly opportunity to deal with those issues. Uh, It's not a matter of just packing up your bag and going home. And that takes time. It takes a lot of energy and a lot of money. Uh, It's it's great cost that you Mm. go through something like that. So you don't do it lightly. Yeah, and I think the lesson, too, also, you know, as far as, you know, individual church members, maybe not ministers of the gospel or um, holding office of some capacity, but even just as regular, everyday members of the local church, uh, I have witnessed uh, too many times people who, for one reason or another, here today, gone tomorrow, mm-hmm. uh, and why, when you, some, most of the time, you don't even know why, Um and when you do find out why, it's usually over something pretty trivial, pretty petty. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, um, it's a serious matter. This is Christ Church. This isn't our church. We don't own it. We're not the head of it. And and, and I realize that's academic, uh, but we don't always behave like. No, we don't. We we behave oftentimes like we own it, and. Um, mm-hmm. And so understand when this issue happened with the PCUS and then eventually the forming of the PCA, it didn't come without great cost, as uh, my guest has just said, as well as tears and, and a lot of grief and um, over what was occurring. And so I think one of the lessons that I take out of this, just sitting here listening um, and learning, uh, frankly, is that we need to pray for our church. Amen. And we need to pray for the leaders of the church. We need to pray for the ministers. Uh, these people are under attack, and Satan is not idle, and he's going to trouble the church. And I think we know that to be true. And I think uh, the only weapon I know to combat that is calling on a sovereign God to deal with that. Amen. And so, um, uh, Paul, do you have any final words as to any kind of? Uh, uh, maybe sources of material information someone could uh, you know books they could read on more to learn more about the history of the Presbyterian Church even in a broader sense uh, yes you can just you know just type in on your search bar uh, Presbyterian Church in America uh, you could add history if you wanted to but I think it's all there anyway 
And they'll, they're, they are good sites. Uh, listing the various uh, histories, Kennedy mm-hmm. Smart, John Richards, Frank Smith, a uh, number of good histories have been written. My wife and I uh, collaborated on a uh, commissioned history at our 25th, 25th anniversary. That's a popular kind of a coffee table type mm. book with lots of pictures and mm-hmm. so on. Uh, I like pictures. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, um, so there are a lot, there are a lot of things there. Uh, you'll also find sources to some of the outstanding authors and, and others in the assembly who, whose voices uh, very clearly deal with some of the issues on both sides. Mm. And it's a, it's a good way to pick up information. But um, I think that would be good. Start with your pastor. Talk to him about it. Mm. You see what sure. he has. Uh, borrow his books if he allows his books to be borrowed. Right. And, uh, uh, and look into it. It's, it's fascinating. It really is because you're dealing with people that that you or your forebears have lived with, you know, now for 40 years. That's right. And, and as we were talking off air, if we don't know our church's history, um, yeah. we're, we're doomed to repeat yeah, it. Yeah, we'll be right back into it. And um, I don't think any of us really want to go there, given the list of errors that I read earlier that a lot yeah. of you listening to this should probably still be in shock over, yeah. especially those who would call themselves conservative even though I don't really like using that word in this vein. Yeah. But reading this list ought to horrify any thinking Christian. Uh, and that and, could have been lengthened four or five times, of course. There were all kinds of issues. Yeah. Touching, really touching everything, every doctrine that's precious to uh, a child of God and especially a Presbyterian child of God. Mm. Uh, nothing was left out. The liberals attacked everything. Yeah, it sure looks, it sure looks that way. Well, Reverend Settle, we do thank you for being on today and talking about this. I know this is a subject that's not only something you you witnessed, but you lived and felt, and, and it was not just an academic subject, but it was an emotional one. It was mm-hmm. something that was really part of your life, and it's helped, and the Lord's used it to define you as well and, and grow you, and you've been a big help to the church and, and standing firm on these issues, and, and for that we do thank you. Thank you, Bill. It's been great to be with you. Great. Thank you. You've been listening to a discussion with Reverend Paul G. Settle. He uh, um, has been a minister of the gospel for, well, longer than I've been alive. And so this is 54 years he's been a minister of the gospel, both in the PCUS and now the Presbyterian Church in America. Um, He's retired, and as I said earlier, still filling pulpits and still laboring for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, Many things are going to perish in this world, but the gospel of Jesus Christ and his people will last forever. And so here's a man who is laboring to do that, storing up treasure in heaven as opposed to treasure on earth, and a man who's lived and seen the demise of the church he loved and has now come to love the church he's in, that is, of course, the PCA. So we hope you enjoyed this discussion. If anything, I hope it's excited you to learn more, if you're Presbyterian, in fact, learn more of the history of your church. Um, that The history is even broader and lengthier than what we even talked about and goes back many, many years. But... Uh, Through it all, we have seen the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the king and head of his church, bring his people through and make her stronger and better, all to the glory of God. So uh, until next week, when we talk with, I don't know yet, we haven't got a guest lined up, but we're working on it. But uh, be sure to follow the website. It's at uh, www.gpts.edu. And there, all the information will be posted about upcoming broadcasts 
who we're going to have on, what are the different topics going to be. I can say this, we are gearing a lot of our interviews right now around the Spring Theology Conference. If you have not signed up to come to the Greenville Seminary Spring Theology Conference, I would encourage you to do so. You can get more information at our website, GPTS, that's Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary.edu. So until next week, we thank you for listening to this particular broadcast of Confessing Our Hope, the podcast of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary.